confess to you, Lord God, our great need for you. Lord, we confess, Lord, we need um, a new word from you, new revelation from you. We need renewal. We need refreshing. We need your restoration, Lord God. And we just pray as your people and believe, Lord God, that it's got to come from you. That, that can't be something we can conjure up for ourselves. It has to be something from you. We need your Holy Spirit, Lord God, to, to bring new strength, to bring new life, Lord God. And uh, Lord, I pray. I pray for a renewal in this church body. I pray for a renewal, refreshing, revival in my life. I pray for re- renewal and refreshing in, in my home uh, amongst, this, these church, amongst this church and these people, Lord God. We pray for a refreshing of your spirit. And Lord God, believing that it has to come from you and believing you for it, Lord God, that you desire to pour out your, your freshness, new mercy, new revelation, restoration, uh, and renewal on us. And so, Father, we just pray for that. We ask for you, earn, for, from you earnestly, Lord God. Uh, and we thank you, Lord God, because we believe uh, in, your, in your love. We believe in your goodness toward us. And, uh, Lord, we just thank you for it. It's in Jesus' great name that we pray. Amen. All right, kiddos, if you'd like to be dismissed for Children's Church, you can follow Grace out the back. For the rest of us, if you have your Bible with you, we're going to be in Mark chapter 1 this morning. And uh, we're going to bring the kids back a little bit early today. We've got a little special uh, thing planned here for the end of the day. And uh, anyway, in Mark chapter 1, if you would turn there. And just in prep work, um, you know, this time of year is tough, isn't it? When, man, we, you know, we didn't really, we had a really short spring this year, and then bam, it was just summer, wasn't it? And, and uh, these, I tell you what, these times of, uh, that are like that is just, it reminds me of several scriptures, but it, it's just kind of like that in our lives. You know, you see, uh, uh, you know, you water your, you water your grass outside, and man, it just doesn't matter. You know, it's, they're just, the grass just, I mean, you look at it, it just looks depressed. You know, the trees are all drooping, and the flowers are withering, and uh, there's a little more yellow tint to everything than, than after we'd, if we'd had a good rain. And uh, you can just tell the earth, you know, and plants and everything just longs for refreshing. It just needs a cool day. We just need a, a, a cool day of, of, of showers, of, of, of rain, and you can just see it. And, and just as that's true um, in, you know, on, on, the, on the planet, and, and you can see it everywhere that you look, it's also true in our lives. This can be true of us spiritually, where we just go through a time when it just feels like summer doldrums. You know, it just feels like every day there's just no relief, and it's just the same thing day after day after day. There's just heat, and, and there just seems to be no relief sometimes. And it's really at that time, and, and, and I really believe that this is a really uh, a biblical thing, is that God's people went through this kind of thing and have gone through this time, kind of thing all the time. Um, and, and, and as much as we'd like to believe it wasn't true, there are just going to be spiritually dry times in our lives. But what that does to your body, you know, when you go through a time of dryness or you go through a time of heat and how your body, it, you know, it changes your desires. It changes what you long for, what you want. Um, and so, you know, you, you go through a time that, uh, you know, a lot of times in the summer, you know, you'll change what you're drinking. You know what I'm saying? You, you know, in the wintertime, you want to drink something hot. You'll have hot coffee in the morning. In the summertime, especially if you're out working in it all day long, you thirst for water. It changes your thirst. That's kind of the same thing spiritually about what happens for, to us. And I think that's why the Lord allows us to go through those times. We get spiritually thirsty when we haven't had some new revelation from God, when we haven't felt his renewal or refreshing, or if we're going through some time of, of struggling or, or trouble, um, and it just feels like there's just intense heat with no relief in our lives, it makes us hunger and thirst for him. This is what was happening in King David's life um, in Psalm chapter 63. It's my favorite. Um, Psalm 63, O oh God, you are my God. 
earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Can you just picture David out in the desert and just the desolateness and just heat pouring down on him? There's no relief. You know, he can't, it's not like he can sit under some shade tree and get some relief. But in the midst of all that and the thirstiness that that creates in him, he recognizes something incredible is that his, his soul thirsts for God like his body thirsts for that refreshing like his body thirsts for rain, like his body thirsts for, for, for water. So his soul and his body, and his, he longs for God. And, and sometimes God takes us through those spiritually dry times so that it changes and we develop a greater hunger and a greater thirst for him. And I pray that would be our prayer this morning. Let me brag on Sheena. Didn't know I was going to mention this. Whenever we met, first met Sheena and Steve, whenever they first came to our church about, uh, uh, about uh, you know, six minutes ago, how long has it been? No. Really? Okay. You know, time flies when you're having fun. Eight years ago. Anyway, one of the first things that really impressed me about Sheena, she was all the time praying for her family for revival. I love that. I think about that all the time, Sheena. Uh, I, I love that. I love that prayer just to, to ask the Lord for revival. And she was just really seeking the Lord, really asking every time we heard her pray, every time her mouth was opening in prayer, she was asking no matter what else she was asking for, and Lord, bring revival to my family. I, I love that. And I, I want that to be our prayer. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach this kind of series here, and I think it's appropriate, and maybe why God's left it this hot for this long, I don't know, but that we might develop that kind of hunger and thirst for him. Amen? Uh, amen. So be it. Lord, may it be that, that we develop a, a greater hunger and a greater thirst for him than what we have today, in, in hopes that, not just so that we could, you know, have more desire for him, but in hopes that the Lord would then bring great relief. He would then bring new revelation to us, that he would bring uh, a, a new, a time of refreshing, a time of new life for us as a church body, and for me as your pastor, and, and for, for my family. I, and I, I just pray that that would be our prayer here during this month of July um, as, we, as we kind of proceed through this, through this series. I just really feel like this is where the Lord wants us right now, is that what he's doing in our, in, you know, in our, in our climate right now here today that he'd want to do in us is that just really change our hunger and thirst to that we really got thirstier for him. Amen? Um, so anyway, let's be praying together. I mean, you pray. As you pray, tomorrow morning when you get up, but tonight when you pray uh, before you go to sleep or whatever, you, when you pray before your meals, just ask for the Lord's revival. Ask for his renewal. Ask for a new revelation from him. Ask for a new life from him. And, uh, and, and um, anyway, that, that's, that's a great thing. Let me, so anyway, let me, let me start off. We're, we're beginning to, in, in this month, we're going to read through the book of Mark. And this is, you know, what we're talking about here today. This is exactly where Israel was. Um, at the writing, at the time of Jesus coming. Mark is going to kind of kind of um, lead us into what's happening with the Israelites um, at this time. But remember, Israel didn't have a prophet for 400 years. Now, let's see, we're about to celebrate our uh, independence, right? July 4th is coming up on this Wednesday. How long has the United States as a nation even been around? Yeah, since right, 1776. So, yeah, so let's say not very long. Yeah. Not very long, let's say, right? So, so, uh, so the United States haven't even been around as long as these people had gone without a single word from the Lord. And then the changes that have taken place over them, these were generations of people where no one heard anything in any prophecy. There had been no word from the Lord. It had just been like heaven fell silent for 400 years. Talk about your dry times. You know what I'm saying? Talk about your times of needing some relief. Talk about needing something new or something refreshing. Nothing had happened for 400 years. Until all of a sudden, 
there came a guy named John the Baptist, and that's what we're going to read about this morning. We're going to read, in Mark chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 15, I believe. Yeah, 1 through 15. And then I'm just going to focus on about the first five verses when we come back to it. So if you have your Bibles with you, Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. So here we go. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let me pause there for just a second and just tell you a little bit about Mark, and I'll talk a little bit more about Mark as we go through. But uh, Mark was written, Mark was not one of the apostles. He, we believe he did know Jesus. He had met him personally. We believe he's kind of included in some of the latter accounts of the gospel um, there when Jesus is, in the, uh, is being tried. I uh, believe that he's mentioned there. Um, he was um, a contemporary of some of the folks that knew Jesus, of Paul and some of the others. Uh, but anyway, um, but he was not one of the apostles. But anyway, he's writing later on in time after Jesus had already ascended, and he was writing to some of the believers in Rome, okay? What do you know about Rome? What do you know about Roman? What do you know about Roman mythology, right? We, knew, we learned a lot. You probably learned more in school about Roman mythology than you did Christianity. Is this not true? It's kind of strange times we're in, isn't it? But uh, anyway, um, look, you learned about Roman um, uh, mythology, and um, you learned a lot about their gods, about who, who they thought of as God. So and one of the things that, that Mark is trying to do is he's trying to prove over and over again and to show people Jesus is the Son of God. He is the representative the, in person. He is God's representation in person of God. That's who he is. He is God, and he's going to go through it. And Mark, I tell you what, if you like short to the point action stories, man, Mark is the gospel for you. Mark contains almost all the events of what Jesus did and his healing and, and miracles and stuff, but very little teaching, actually. There, you'll find most of Jesus' teaching and parables and, and other gospels, but man, Mark is just action-packed. It's just one thing after the other, and you'll see it here. But anyway... You're going to find a lot of focus on Mark talking about Jesus being God, about him being the Son of God and the one that they should look to. You're going to hear over and over again, he's going to talk about Jesus uh, bringing healing and having power and authority over sickness and illness and uh, spiritual things. You know, he's going to, he's going to show him in like the, uh, chapter 4 or 3 or 4 that he's got power to forgive sin. He's got power over um, every kind of disease. He's got power over demons and authority over demons. And you're going to see that over and over again as Mark's just proving out one story after another. Let me tell you what Jesus did. He's the Son of God. He is the one. He is the true God. And uh, you're going to see that all throughout the book of Mark. But anyway, today, I'll slow down a little bit and we'll read in uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Verse 2 and 3, that's actually two uh, conglomerative verses. That's actually from Malachi chapter 3 and from Isaiah chapter 40. Um, where they were talking about a prophet who would go before um, the Messiah. There would be one who would go before like a herald would precede a king coming. He would be like a herald who would come and preparing the way for the coming uh, VIP. Here they're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, and the prophet is John the Baptist. Verse 4, And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and uh, with a belt, I'm sorry, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. 
I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with a Holy Spirit. All right, so John's talking and he's saying, listen, I'm not the one who's coming. I'm just here to tell you about the one coming. And he is so much greater than I. He is so much higher than I that I'm not even worthy of doing some menial task to untie his shoes, right? Okay, verse 9. At, the time Jesus, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth, Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan River. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven, and a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was there, he was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. Verse 14. After John was put into prison, that's John the Baptist was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. All right. Interesting. Boy, I tell you what, so there in Mark in 15 verses, we cover what most of the other gospels cover in about four chapters. Man, he just moves. Mark just goes. He's not a lot of... uh, not a lot of talk. It's just, yeah, Jesus went out in the desert and he was tempted. And uh, then Jesus came and he said, repent, the kingdom of God is coming. And John came and then he was put in prison. Anyway, it just moves really quickly. So anyway, if you like the short to the point stuff, man, Mark is your gospel. Um, anyway, but um, l- let's get started here. In, uh, in, let's go back, if you would look with me in, in, uh, in Mark chapter 1, verse 2, where it's talking about um, the prophecies of uh, John the Baptist coming. Verse 2 is from Malachi chapter 3. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. All right. Notice what the the prophet's called to do. Notice what this prophet John the Baptist would do. He would prepare the way and he would make straight the paths for the Lord who would be coming. And in verse 4 and 5, or or, sorry, in verse 3, he was the one who would prepare the way for the Lord and make his path straight. Verses 4 and 5, John was that messenger. He was sent to prepare the way for Jesus the Messiah and um, notice what he, John taught some things that had not been really done before. John taught about, about individuals confessing their sin. This is, a, this is a new thing that he was doing. He was talking to people about confessing their sins on their own, confessing themselves individually as a person, individually confessing their sins. And then he talked about baptism in a way that hadn't been done before. It was common practice to baptize someone who, would be, who was converting into, baptism, into uh, Judaism. I'm sorry, into Judaism. So if they had a convert who was a Gentile who was wanting to be a Jew, uh, a, a, a Jew they could be converted into Judaism through baptism. But John was offering a new kind of baptism for a new way. This was a baptism of what? What does it say there? Repentance, a baptism for repentance. These were Jews who were coming to be baptized, and it was, it was a different kind of baptism. This was a, baptize, as, a baptism as a, as a sign or a symbol of repentance, that they are wanting to turn away from their sins and to be purified and to, and to turn toward God. This was completely new, completely different way of thinking, but this is what John was doing. This was him preparing people for the coming of the Lord Jesus. He was teaching them that there was going to be a new way to relate to God, and that way was through confession and repentance and finding forgiveness that was going to come through this one who would follow him, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, pretty great stuff, isn't it? Okay, so anyway, let's, um, let me talk to you about that, though, just for a minute. First thing is, is that it's kind of funny to me how God orchestrated this. Obviously, God had planned this, Malachi, 400 years before Jesus, and, but, but God says, I'm going to send a messenger ahead of my Messiah. Why would the Messiah need 
Why would the Messiah even want anyone else there in the picture? Why is it that God even orchestrates to have John the Baptist there in the first place? Why did he send him? Isn't it enough that Jesus came? Wouldn't it be enough that Jesus would come and, and he would be the Messiah? He would be the one who would lay his life down for people. He would show us what God like, is like by his life, by his, by his compassion and by his sinlessness, by his holiness and his righteousness. Wouldn't that be enough? I think it would have, but... I think you see this in your life, and I think I see it in mine. God loves to involve people in his plan of redemption. He loves it. And, and, and let me ask you, when you came to Jesus Christ the first time, when you first under, understood your need for forgiveness, and it chased you to the cross as, as God by his Holy Spirit brought about conviction on your life, and you really recognized your need for salvation the very first time, I would bet, even though I shouldn't, I would guess, how about that? I, I would guess that there was someone uh, involved in that. There was someone who was there who was talking to you and preparing the way and making straight the way in your life for Jesus Christ to come into your life. Is this true? How many of you had someone involved at your, in your salvation, someone who was explaining to you how to be saved, how to f- come to faith in Jesus Christ? Yeah? All right. I, you know, it's most of us, I think. Uh, most usually, God loves to include people in his plan of redemption. And here, John the Baptist is the one who's coming, and he was teaching people about confession, teaching them to confess for them sin, from their sins and to turn from them and to turn towards God in preparation for the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I, I want to point that out to you this morning because I think this is important for us to believe, uh, for us to understand as Christians. God usually uses people to bring Jesus into their life. Yeah? You and I, it's happened for you and I, and it happens for the people around us. Um, uh, This is important for us to know because there are people around you, you know, who are classmates or castmates or coworkers or neighbors or family members or whatever who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And usually it's God's plan to bring along someone to be like a John the Baptist, to make straight the path, to prepare the way into their lives for Jesus Christ. Someone to come in and to explain or to lay down what the gospel is all about, right? What the gospel means and and, and what it's for. Um, And it's very important. You know, for for many of us as children, maybe it was our parents. For many of you, maybe it was a pastor or a youth pastor um, or someone else who has stepped into your life and made, made, made you know, made straight the path for your life and prepared the way for you. But in the end... um, Someone helped you see your sin, right? Someone helped you recognize your sin. Someone helped you recognize your need for forgiveness. And then someone pointed you to Jesus Christ and say, and God made the way for you to receive forgiveness because Jesus Christ died on the cross in a substitutionary death. He died the death you deserved and you get the life he lived if you'll put your faith in him, right? Someone was there to explain the gospel, maybe in just that simple of terms to you, so that you would know and you, your, path, the, the, your, your way would be prepared for the Lord to come in and to save you. That's a beautiful thing. And also, but th- that's not only for, for you and I, that's also for the people around us. The, the people around us need someone to step in and to pre- prepare the way to make the way for the Lord. So let me just offer a, a few things for you, just kind of the way that John does here. The first thing is that how can you prepare the way in the lives of the people around you? The first is to explain their need for, for forgiveness. You know, the very fact that ev- all of mankind, every one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us is in need of salvation. And we can make all kinds of explanations, all kinds of excuses about why we sinned, about why we're not really responsible for it. But in the end, 
We're all responsible before God for what we've done, and people need to know that. Because it doesn't make any sense for the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ if you don't understand your own sin. True. Once a person understands their own sin and they begin to feel the weight upon it, they begin to feel the weight of the shame and the guilt of their own sin, then it's time to say, and God has provided for you a way out. He's provided for you forgiveness. He's provided for you a way that you could be saved, and it is through the Lord Jesus Christ. He died so that you could live. He laid down his life. He was, though he was perfect, he died like a criminal so that you wouldn't have to die under your sin, and you could be freed from him and freed from the guilt that your sin carries. So explain their need for forgiveness. Tell them how you found forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Tell them about your experience. What was it like? And do you remember? And it's good for us to think about it. It's, it's good for us to go back and remember. It's good for us in our, in our own spiritual life to be talking to people about it. But to remember, what was it like the very first time you gave your life from Jesus, to Jesus Christ and that guilt and that sin of all of your life, all the things that you were ashamed of, all the things, even the, some of the things that no one else knew that you were just bearing the weight of, what did it feel like that very first moment that all of that was relieved? What was that like? And that's a good day, isn't it? That, that's a good day to have all of that burden lifted from your shoulders and to have God look down on you through the life of Jesus Christ and say, you are not guilty, but I declare you as innocent before me because, because of the life of my son. And that's a good day, isn't it, to have that relief? Listen, there are people around you who struggle with their own sin and the guilt and the condemnation and the, and the shame of all the things that they've done. And they'll try to cover it. You know, we all try to cover our sin in a, in a hundred thousand different ways, try to make it where it's not our responsibility. Someone else did it. This, you know, I'm just reacting here, all that other stuff. When you get down to the bottom of it, people want to be relieved of their sins. Some of them will find that relief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And it may take someone like you to step into their lives and say, let me tell you how this happened in my life. Amen. May you be that John the Baptist to them. May you prepare the way for the Lord into their lives. The last thing is, that how, tell them how it's changed your life. Listen, Christianity is not just about that moment of conversion. It's about now you have new meaning for your life. Now you have something to look forward to. Now you're caught up in God's whole story of redemption that he, he wants and desires and, 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 and wants to show his love for mankind. And the way he's done it is to show this ex, extreme, incredible love to mankind by sacrificing himself on, on behalf of us so that he might have us. And, and really, it comes back to the psalmist, right, who said, what is man that you care about him? What is, what, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Somehow, I go back to King James, I'm sorry. What is man that you care? Um, you, you know, God has this incredible preoccupation with man that he's just always wanting us. And just, just because he's loving, just because he wants us. And now you and I are caught up in this great story. You know, God, this great romancer who wants to save people for himself, that he might be their God and they might be his people, that he might be our husband and we might be his bride. What a beautiful, amazing thing. And now you and I all part of that story. Your life has meaning that it didn't have before Christ. Amen? Your, your life has impact that it didn't have before Christ. Your life means more than what you're doing at your job. Your life means more than when you're just, you know, picking up and cleaning up around the house. You're not alive to get up and tie your shoes every day, right? Your life is something much more meaningful than that. Amen? Your life so that we also might, might be a part, just like John the Baptist was, in, in God's great redemption, his great redemptive story as he shows his love to mankind, and we all become a part of that story. That's not all, though, for, for, for today that I wanted to share with you. I also wanted to share with you 
um, this idea of, about confession and repentance. <clears throat> John the Baptist, real heavy, and, and Jesus here at the end of, of Mark chapter 15, he says, the good news has come, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. So many times as, as believers, we, we've come to think of repentance and confession of sin as something we did back when we were saved. Can I tell you, that's just not biblical. That's just not the biblical thought of confession. The biblical thought of confession is that we would continually be confessing. We would continually be repenting from our sins because I don't know about you, but I wasn't made perfect the day I came to Christ. Now, I'm sorry if you were. That's probably shocking to you that you have a pastor who's not perfect yet. But yes, I'm, I'm here to tell you, still struggling. Yes, still struggle with sin. Yes, I know. Yeah, Clint, lucky he didn't fall out of his chair. Still struggling with sin. But, and so do you. And none of this should be shocking to us. We're always going to have the need for confession. We're always going to have the need for repentance in this life. We always will. Now, God, hasten the day, right, where we won't struggle with that anymore. But today, I still need confession. But let me tell you what, what that does for me. When I recognize my sin, and, and how can I recognize my sin, right? The Bible says that, that sin is deceitful, right? It, 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 it tricks us. Um, it, it blinds us. All these things that are said about sin in the Scriptures that, it, that is blind to, to us, that it's deceitful to us. How can we see it? There's only one way. God has to reveal it to us because we are just lousy at seeing our own sin, aren't we? We're really good at spotting it in someone else, right? Exceptional. We're experts at picking out sin in other people. But in ourselves, we just don't see it. How do we have any hope to get any better? Listen, you have got to be in this word every day, and you've got to read it like a mirror. You've got to look into it and say, Lord, first I want to see you. I want to see your gloriousness. I want to see your love. Remind me of your righteousness. Let me see you again. But then also, Lord, let me see myself, right? So let me see when I'm reading the story of the prodigal son. Lord, show me how I've ventured off. Show me how I've walked away from you. Show me how I was like that prodigal son. Or show me how I've been like the older son. Show me how I've been like the judgmental one. Show me how I've been like the one who's, who's sat at home and all this time said, I've worked and I've toiled for you, and then you throw a party for someone else, right? Show me how I'm like that older son. So, yeah, you've got to read the Scriptures with both lenses. You've got to read it and knowing that this is all about him. But it's also a little bit about us, isn't it? It's also a little bit about our sin. And we read it like from James chapter 1, says that we're supposed to, supposed to look at the Word like a mirror, and we're supposed to see ourselves in it, and we're supposed to allow it to speak to us and, and change us. And it really is like a two-edged sword. It really does discern us better than we can discern ourselves. We've got to be in this Word to grow. You, you have to. You just have to. Um, to bring in confession. But let me tell you what that does to you. So when I see that I have judgmental attitudes, when I, after I read like the story of the prodigal son, if I see when I have judgmental attitudes and I'm frustrated that God would be merciful to someone who didn't deserve it, like I did, right? Um, to someone who I don't think deserved it, right? Then I read that and I say, oh Lord, I'm like the older son. Oh, oh Lord, I, I see this. I, I see it now. I'm like the older son. You've revealed it through your word. I've, it's like I've looked into the mirror and I've seen, the, I've seen some of the ugliness in my face and I need you to do your work. I need you to do your surgery. But, you know, here's the part about confession is that once again, the Lord can step in and remind me and revive my soul in this. Are you ready? In this is that once again, he can speak into my life and say, David, yeah, you've got judgmental attitudes. But let me pour again into your life the blood of Jesus Christ and let me remind you again that that was just one of the sins that I've covered. And atonement has already been made. 
Forgiveness has already been made through the life and the victory that was found in the Lord Jesus Christ on the day that he died and the day that he was raised from the dead when I called his work on the cross complete. And he can speak to you again the joy of your salvation, that that day that you very first had relief from your sins, you can have all over again, day after day, time after time, because even in the midst of my sin, I find the joy of my salvation because God says, I've already made provision for that. Remember the greatness of my salvation. And now that you understand how sinful you are, and tomorrow you'll understand how even deeper your sin goes, and then when you're 40, you'll decide, discover even how deeper your sin goes. And when you're 50, you'll, decide, you'll discover how much deeper your sin goes. And by the time that you're old and gray, uh, then you'll really begin to st- start to scratch the surface to know how great is my salvation. Amen? Confession, repentance, seems hard, but it's a greater means of God showing his grace and his mercy to remind us just how great the work that Jesus Christ has done. Amen? All right. Um, so I want to remind you about that. I want to remind you about your need to conf- just continually confess and repent, continually be in the Scriptures and allow it to, to take you into those really difficult places that you really, none of us really likes to go. But it's, it, the effort here is not just for the fact that, uh, that we could feel bad about ourselves and, you know, whoop ourselves with, uh, with, 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 uh, with wet noodles. The, the point is here is that this is an avenue of greater grace. It's a way to take the gospel and to pour it down deeper into your heart and into your mind and for it to really take hold in your life in those dark, in those, in those deep, deep places where we really need the gospel at work, not just superficially, but very deep in our lives, very deep in our spirits. Um, so... Um, there's one more thing that I'd like to ask you. So I, I want to ask you to, to, to think about how John the Baptist prepared the way for other people. I want to ask you, is the Lord putting people in your lives that you're supposed to be preparing the way for him? The second thing is I want to ask you, John called people to confess and repent. Jesus called people to come and repent. Are you confessing and repenting? Listen, this is just part of being a believer. It's part of being a Christian is that there's continual need for confession and repentance. And when we go there, the Lord is, will meet us there and he says, oh, yes, but let me show you how much deeper and how much greater my salvation is than you ever knew, right? And we're always growing in a greater realization of the gospel in our lives. The last thing is this, and you're going to read about this in Mark chapter 4. Matter of fact, let's go ahead and bring that up if we could, Tim. Mark chapter 4, verses 24 and 25, um, because I want to talk about I want to talk about the Lord bringing you new revelation or doing something new or bringing some renewal or revival in your life. But there's a really important concept that you're going to read this week in Mark chapter 24, and I just wanted to bring this up quickly. Um, This is what it says. Consider carefully what you hear. So Jesus had been doing some teaching, and and he cautions the crowd. He cautions the hearers. He tells them, but be careful what you hear, right? So consider carefully what you hear. With the measure you use... Notice that word. If you have it in your Bible, if you have it, you might underline or circle that or something. This is important. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. There is some real confusion with the, with the apostles about why God would speak to all of the common people in parables, and yet he would come to them and tell them what it all meant. And they're like, Lord, why are you not giving them the same stuff that you're giving us? And he says, well, because I give people in the measure that they're using it or hearing it. L- let me, so I'm sorry, let me tie this back. Um, I hope this isn't a big jump. 
If the Lord hasn't spoken something new to you, if the Lord hasn't revealed anything new, if your quiet time's been exceptionally dry, if you're going through one of those really dry times, I would always question in my own heart, what did I do with the last thing that the Lord gave me? What did I do with it? Have I been obedient? This, there are passages like this. There are several of these in the New Testament where basically what the Lord says is, if I fill up your cup, and you, don't, and you don't walk in obedience to what I've given you, but you bring back the cup and it's still full because you've not used what I've given you, there won't be any more. You're going to have to go put to use what I've already given you because greater obedience leads to greater revelation. We have to walk in obedience to what the Lord's done before we can go back and ask him for more because he's always saying, what have you done with what I've given you so far? People who put into practice what the Lord has shown them, are going to get more. You know what I'm saying? Now listen, I know all the, all, the, all the health and wealth gospel preachers preach this, and this is why you hate it, right? I know that. But listen, there's truth in these. Don't just throw these out like the baby with the bathwater. Don't just throw these out. This is not about health and wealth. This is about a greater spiritual understanding and walking in greater obedience to the Lord. Are you following me? Uh, uh, to walk in greater obedience, to receive something new from the Lord, you have to put into practice what he's already shown you. You have to walk in obedience. But the people who do, here's the great part of this, the people who do get more, right? Look with me. Flip back there one more time, Tim. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. There's this kind of spiritual law at work here where the Lord says, People who listen and obey will be continually receiving more. People who listen and do nothing will receive no more, right? Okay. That's why he spoke that way. That's why he only gave parables to the people on the outside, and yet to the people who would listen, to his disciples, to his apostles, he gave even more, even greater measure of himself, greater teaching, greater revelation as they walked in greater obedience and try to put into practice what the Lord was showing them. So here we go. Let's wrap up. Um, so... Uh, I want you to, as you're reading through this today, as you're reading through this this week, I just, would, I just pray that the Lord would show you how you can be like John the Baptist in the life of someone else and help prepare the way for the Lord Jesus to come into their lives and, and to change their lives like he's changed yours and mine. Amen? Amen. Come on, we're Baptist folks. You've got to do better than that. Amen? That's right. Amen. All right. The, the next thing, though, is to remember is that confession and repentance. It's terrible. It's hard to go there. But listen, all the while the Lord wants to show you even greater, how deep his gospel can go into your life. Amen. It's just a greater means of his grace. And the last thing is that I would ask is that if you're going through a dry time, I just want to ask you, what did you do with the last thing the Lord showed you? Have you walked in faithfulness to it? If not, that may be why you're going through a dry time. But in the end, his desire is to give you more. Amen. Amen. It is. So um, let me, uh, let's do this. We've got one more thing to do. And uh, we got uh, Tim and Grace Johnson. Well, you know what? You guys just, uh, y'all hang out there for just a minute. I want to talk about parenting for a minute. We're going to, um, we don't do uh, baptism of, of infants in a Baptist church. We believe that baptism is, is of, uh, a baptism of repentance and, and turning toward God. And so we don't do any sprinkling or dunking of children or anything like that. Um, but we do believe in uh, what the scripture teaches about Christian parenting. And that is, is that, um, as parents, we represent God to our children. And boy, that just almost sounds blasphemous, doesn't it? But we represent God to our children. You know, um, a, a child who's a newborn can do nothing, right? They can't change their own diapers. They can't give themselves baths. They can't feed themselves. They can't close themselves. They're just completely helpless, right? Um, we were just reading today in Hosea about, uh, well, anyway, 
being naked and, and, uh, yeah, and helpless. But anyway, um, th- that's just how they are. But as a parent, you know, you step in and you take care of every need that newborn has. Isn't that a beautiful picture about God's love toward us? And listen, it's meant to be. That's meant to be. Our, our relationship with our children is a reflection of God's relationship with us. That's why he made it this way, right? He invented fatherhood so that he could show you, let me show you what I'm like to you. I'm like a father who takes care of a helpless child. Uh, because that's what you are like to me. And, and uh, we learn God's, um, we, we learn God's uh, providence by our parents. And, and if you're a parent, you're, you're teaching your child too. You're teaching them rules. You're teaching them, you know, it's not good to play in the street, right? Why? Well, because you're, you're just such a killjoy. No, it's for their protection, right? It's for their good. And they learn because of your loving rules. They learn to, be, they learn to trust in God's righteousness because they begin to see that, well, maybe God's like my dad and my mom who set rules for me so that, why? So I can walk in safety and I can walk in, in health and goodness. And maybe his rules for me are good. And when you're as a parent and you teach your children through discipline, right? You, and, and, you, and you discipline your child through, through spanking or, or, you know, later on in timeout or grounding or whatever, threatening to kill them. No, not really. But through all those things, you begin to realize that, that the discipline that my parents have for me are for my own good, right? And so the discipline, when the Lord brings me through suffering, maybe the suffering is for my own good. Listen, we represent our God to our children and we bring them up. And, you know, I, I say some things like that and it almost makes me shudder because, man, I'm not smart enough I don't have enough energy for it all. Not, all my kids are different, and none of them came with instruction books. It's really intimidating. I remember being a first-time father. I had never changed a diaper in my life before I changed one on Jessica. I wish she was here this morning. I could embarrass her, but uh, we'll wait until she's here. Um, I'd never changed a diaper in my life. I did not know what I was doing. I, I had no clue, um, and uh, had a, t- a child for the first time, and I was scared to death. I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, thankfully, God creates moms for, for children, though, as well. So anyway, um, I didn't know what I was doing. I was feeling really overwhelmed. But we learn, you know, so it's for our children, but also parenting's for us, isn't it? it it's to teach us that we need something more than what we've got. I, I recognize, man, I need wisdom and I need smarts that I don't have. And in that way, it's good for our souls as well, isn't it? Um, you learn as you have children that you need more wisdom. You learn as you have children that you need more grace. You learn in, as you have children that you need um, more energy than what you've got, and you learn that you've got to learn to trust in the Lord, and you've got to learn to trust in the, the, Spirit's, uh, the Holy Spirit's strength for those times that you go through with your children where they're sick or they're struggling in their lives, and uh, that really is just another means of sanctification of God's grace on us. So speaking of grace, she's right back there. Come on up with Tim. Let's bring Bennett, and uh, let's do this together here this morning. All right, Tim and Grace are here with Bennett this morning. Um, and I, I, we just we wanted to do this, but you know, and I was talking to Grace, we wanted to do this before Bennett turned a year, so we just barely made it here. <laughs> but uh, anyway, certainly not a newborn anymore. But we just did did want to take some time here, and uh, and and Tim and Grace wanted to dedicate Bennett to the Lord's service and and to dedicate themselves as parents as well. And, and uh, boy, it, it's just a beautiful, great, and godly thing, isn't it? That we, yes, sir, that's right. Um, it's a great and godly thing that you guys want to dedicate yourselves as parents and want to dedicate Bennett to the Lord's service. So, um, Lord, so first, I just want to commend you guys for, um, you guys have just four beautiful children, and 
um, and your guys' efforts to raise them up in a Christian home is just a beautiful thing and, and something that uh, fewer and fewer children have the opportunity for. True? Uh, fewer and fewer children have the opportunity for. So um, I know all these things I talk about, about um, parents being images of God or representing God to their children is overwhelming. I mean, it's an overwhelming responsibility, and, and I'd be the first to say I don't have what it takes um, to raise, to raise a, a child in a way that I could leave them unscarred, you know, <laughs> before the Lord. But, uh, but in God's graciousness, in his faithfulness, in his grace, in his strength, um, he has a plan for Bennett just as he has a plan for you guys. And he will do in Bennett's life all that his, he desires, and it will be glorious and it will glorify God. Amen? Yeah. Amen. All God's people. Amen. All right. Man, you guys are in the doldrums today. I'm going to have to whoop up and yell. Okay. Um, so anyway, what I'd like to do here is just for, to read a charge to you guys. And in the end, you guys just respond. But let me just read a charge to y'all. Yes, sir. Uh, read, <laughs> read a charge to you guys. Tim and Grace, God has given uh, you guys um, a great blessing in your life in raising four children. Will you commit yourselves to his calling on your life? Will you commit to continually growing in your relationship with the Lord? Will you rely on his Holy Spirit to help you so that your children may learn through you how they can come to relate to God? Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. All right, and I want to ask you too, there are many of those of you who um, are friends with Tim and Grace. There are many of you who help keep the nursery for Bennett or help teach Sunday school or help in Wednesday night activities with the kiddos. Listen, we all have a part in teaching this young guy and these other young guys, uh, Tim and Grace's children, how they are going to relate to God one day. And uh, some of them, they've already started this journey, uh, but Bennett hasn't started his yet. One day, he too, you know, we pray will come to know the Lord, and uh, it will be because of Tim and Grace's efforts and the Lord working through them and the efforts that you guys make to love them, to support those kids, to teach them about the Lord and all of his goodness and all of his grace and, uh, and, and his mercy and the salvation that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, it, re- it really is a community effort. And uh, so anyway, I, I, just, I just rejoice in this. This is just a beautiful thing. And, uh, and anyway, just bless you guys as you guys um, um, endeavor to follow the Lord on his calling in your life to, to be godly parents. So let me pray with you guys, and uh, then we're going we're gonna to sing together one last song as we sing, sing yearn together, and uh, we'll be dismissed for the day. So church family, would you all stand with me as we do really all stand together? in our faith, in this journey that we're traveling together and trying to follow the Lord. Let's just lift up Tim and Grace. Would you just pray silently for them as, uh, as I pray out loud for us? As a matter of fact, we got a number of, the church, of their family here. Y'all come on up, Lyndon and Amber and, uh, and, and the Barbies. Y'all come on up here. Kiddos, Ava, Claire. Yeah, y'all come up. Rochelle, yeah, y'all come on up. <clears throat> we're blessed to have you guys in our church. Blessed to have you guys just here this morning, so we appreciate you being here. Here's a good part of the clan right here, so not the good part, but a good part of the clan. Anyway, well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we, um, as we take this time to um, just lift up uh, Bennett to you and lift up Tim and Grace to you, Lord God, we lift them up, and Lord, we pray for them, Lord, that you would just be continually doing your work in their life. Lord, I pray that you would be continually um, deepening their relationship with you, that you would be taking them into greater grace, greater understanding all the time of, of your great redemption that you brought through the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, that, that they could mirror and, and reflect your glory, um, Father, to their children, that, that Bennett and uh, his sisters and brother 
uh, would all grow up knowing how to relate to you, that you are a, a good God, like a good father to us. You're a good God who provides for us. You're a good God who knows us and, and, and desires relationship with us. And so, Father, we just thank you for that. We thank you for Tim and Grace. We thank you for their dedication to you, Lord God. Pray that you'd give them energy and strength through your Holy Spirit, Father, to follow you. It's in Jesus' great name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you guys. Thank you.